welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Your Bibles with you. We're going to be in chapter 18 this morning, chapter 18 of Matthew. You should probably know that. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, in 2010, I don't know, I'm not going to say the guy's name. In 2010, there's an event I want to share with you. A flight attendant for the company JetBlue was coming off of a flight. Now, this flight didn't start very good for him. He, he started the flight with two ladies getting into a fight about the, uh, where they could store their luggage. You guys know, those of you that have flown, you know that when you get on an airplane, there's a little area up above the seats, and you can put a little backpack or a purse or whatever you call your carry-on in there. Well, these two ladies had got into a dispute about who was taking up too much room, and this flight attendant had to break it up. So the flight didn't exactly start very well well for him. Well, after the flight, they were uh, they had landed, and then there's this period of time when you fly where the plane just drives down the runway and starts to taxi to the gate, and sometimes that can take up to 30 minutes. You're on the ground, you're where you're supposed to be, but you're not where you can get off of the plane yet, and so people will get impatient. Well, one of those same two ladies had stood up and began to try to retrieve her purse or her backpack or whatever she had. Well, this is unsafe with a moving plane. You can't be standing up. If the plane has to stop or accelerate quickly, you'll fall down down and the airline could get sued. So this flight attendant, you know, asked her, would you please sit down until the plane comes to a complete stop? And the lady's still up there trying to yank her stuff out of there. She really wanted her purse or whatever. And so he walked up to her and he was trying to tell her, ma'am, you have to sit down. Well, she started going quicker trying to get her purse out of the carry-on area. And she did that, you know, like when you jerk and it finally lets go and she whoop, punched him right in the face. This guy's day is just not going very good. And so he's like, ow, that hurt really bad. Ma'am, you, you owe me an apology. And to which she turned around and, and told him what she thought of him with, uh, let's just say, some not very nice language. This guy was having a bad day. Now, at that point, he's okay. It's been a bad day, but tomorrow's another day. But how he responds to this is going to be the problem. At this point, that lady's in the fall, but how he responds to this, how he expresses his frustration with this was completely inappropriate. This was the last straw for him. He gets on the intercom of the plane, and he tells him, he said, I have worked here for 20 years. I'm not doing it anymore, and I'm tired of airlines customers like you and like you and like you who do this kind of stuff. I just got hit in the face. I'm not doing it anymore, and he said it in not very nice terms once again. And then he steals two beers off of the cart, and he pops open the emergency exit to the plane. Now, let me explain what happens when a plane is, is not ready for you to get off. If you pop up the emergency exit, there's this emergency slide that's stored in the plane that as soon as that door is open, automatically blows up and gives you a safe way off the plane. It can float or it can get you down off there very quickly. So this plane is moving and he throws open the door and this huge giant slide, probably as, as big as one of our Rosa Pews, pops out and he just, with a beer in either hand, just right down through there and takes off walking down the runway yelling, I quit! Now the problem with that is that when the emergency hatch is opened on a plane mid-flight unexpectedly, nobody knows what's going on. And so we have the police and we have the fire department, the airport shuts down, and everybody doesn't know what's going on because this guy was having a bad day. Let me just say it this way. I think he could have handled that a little bit better, right? He could have expressed his grievances a little bit better. And that's what I want to talk to us today because for so many of us, when we have something going on, when we've been wronged, we want to express, we want to air our grievances. We want to express our emotions. We want to communicate the hurt. But I think we can do a little bit better than we normally do. 
If you're just joining us, we've been in a series called Stop the Hurt. And what we're looking at is what does it mean as a follower of Christ to truly forgive and how do I do that? Because I know very few followers of Christ who don't know that we're called to forgive. I know very few followers of Christ who just flat out refuse to forgive. But what I do know is a lot of people who say, I don't know how to forgive. How do I let this go? How do I move on? How do I work through this conflict and, and forget it? And we've been talking about the actual practical steps that the Bible lays out for us and how to forgive. If you've got your outline, we're going to go through all of those. We use the acronym STOP. Uh, the first thing that we want to do is a side-by-side -side comparison. I want to step back from my hurt, and I want to compare what somebody did to me to what I have done to God. My sin against God versus their sin against me. And when I compare those two things, I'm like, wow, if God can forgive me, and God lives in me, there must be the power in me to forgive them for what they've done. Uh, secondly, it gets a little more difficult, is this trust God. God gives us these hard instructions of what to do with people who have misused us or mistreated us, and it doesn't make any sense to us, but we just trust God and we do what he calls us to do. We do things like love those that have hurt us, bless those that curse us, do good to those who use us, and pray for those. And we talked about that two weeks ago and said, you know, really you can cover all of those in just learning to pray for your enemies or people who have hurt you. Last week we came to the O, which is we've got to own it, which is maybe even harder than trusting God. As followers of Christ, we've got to be introspective and reflective enough to look in the mirror and say, maybe I did something wrong too. And even if the, the fight is 99% their fault and 1% my fault, I've got to be willing to own my 1% of that 100 or 100% 100 of my 1%. I've got to be willing to go to somebody who hurt me and take responsibility for what I did that maybe hurt them first or retaliation hurt them back. Well, this week I want to talk about how we can work through this. The P of our stop is the process. And what happens is the Bible gives us a biblical blueprint. Bible gives us a biblical blueprint. That's, you know, goes without saying, right? It gives us this blueprint for how to handle conflict and strife when somebody has hurt us. How do we communicate to somebody what they've done to us? Do we get on the intercom and tell everybody what we think of them and pull the, pull the hatch open and slide down the slide and walk away? Or, or do we communicate our hurt and air our grievances in a correct way? So what we do in the process is we begin to seek reconciliation. Because at the end of it, what do we all want? In any conflict, in any hurt, we just want it to go away. And the Bible tells us how to seek and the process to go through how to seek somebody reconciling with us. It tells us how to communicate our hurt to them. Now, I want to be clear. When I'm talking about reconciliation, I'm not talking about repayment. Remember, forgiveness is giving up my right to anger, repayment, and retribution. I'm not talking about repayment. I don't mean getting somebody to pay me back or paying them back for the hurt. I don't mean retribution. I don't mean revenge. What am I going to do to make it even between us? Reconciliation is when harmony is restored to the relationship. And like, yeah, that happened in the past, but it's okay now. Uh, we worked through it together. So Matthew 18 gives us this blueprint. If you've got your Bibles with you, read verse 15 with me. This is Jesus speaking on how to, excuse me, how to handle a problem. So Jesus here says, moreover, moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, that word trespass in King James is translated either trespass or sin. So if somebody sins against you or trespasses against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Everybody say alone. And if he shall hear you, you have gained your brother. 
Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come up, come back to this. So the Bible sets up this situation where there's a conflict in your life. It says, if this happens to you, hypothetically, if this is a problem for you, here's how you handle it. Now, you notice it starts off with brother there. Now, brother in the Bible can be used in multiple contexts. So there's the physical concept of a brother, like we share the same parents. That's my brother. But brother is what we also call other believers. Because what the Bible tells us is once we become a Christian, we have been adopted into the family of God. Well, if I'm adopted in the family of God and God is my heavenly father and you're adopted into the family of God and God is your father, that makes us siblings in the family of God. So that's why in church we'll call people brother so-and-so. It's kind of faded away, but used to. So it could be that this person that this is talking about could be somebody in your personal home church. It could also apply to any follower. The Bible doesn't say. What this context usually points to is a believer, but I want to be clear. You can also use this with an unbeliever. Because what the Bible is actually getting to here is a, a personal connection between you and somebody else. You're not free from this concept just because the person who hurts you doesn't go to church or because they're a coworker or a friend. The point is somebody personal to you that you need to re reconcile a relationship with. The process pointed out here in the scripture is not for you to reconcile with a congressman who didn't vote the way that you wanted to. This is about personal relationships where somebody personally did something to me or something that affected me. So it says here that this person in this context has sinned against us. What that means is that there is an event or an action that purposely affected you or accidentally affected you could also be a possibility. It doesn't mean that somebody I know made a decision I don't like. It doesn't mean that I gave advice to somebody and they didn't listen to me. It doesn't mean I can't control them. If, if that's what you're having a problem with, that's probably a pride issue in you. We're talking about when somebody has done something that has specifically attacked or harmed you in some week, some way. Uh, last week we talked about this from the reverse perspective. We talked about when we've done something that maybe purposely or accidentally harmed another person. When we sin against another person. And we talked about the concept of going to them and owning that and apologizing for that. And this week we get to talk about the reverse. We get to talk about when somebody harms us, which is honestly where we've been hoping to go for this whole series. It's been kind of a tough series to be here. Uh, so I want to be clear that the order of this is important though. Because what a lot of us want to do is we want to go through this process first and then we'll put a side-by-side -side comparison, we'll trust God, and then we'll own ours as the very last thing. But, but it's so important for us to make sure that we have this right, where we own our problems, where we own what we've done before we go to somebody else. Show of hands, somebody's hurt you. Somebody's hurt you and you're frustrated with them and you're upset and, and the first thing they do is come to you and say, you're wrong. Are you going to hear that person very well? I'm not. So, so what we do is we take care of our part. We apologize for our part. And then we're welcome to go to a person and say, okay, so in order for this relationship to be reconciled, we need to talk about what you did. We need to talk about your issue. And the Bible gives us this course of action in this situation. Number one is that we go and tell them. It's the hardest thing to do. You know why it's hard to do? It's because you have to be vulnerable. Somebody hurt me and I have to organize a moment with them where I sit down and I'm vulnerable. And I have to say, look, you did this and it affected me in this way. And I want you to make that right. Like, we don't want to do that. 
That's really hard for us to do because it requires us to kind of put ourselves in their hands. And secondly, secondly, we have to do it in private, a one-on-one reaction. And that's the exact opposite of what we would naturally do. When somebody hurts us, when we're frustrated with somebody, what we naturally do is what? Number one, we hold on to it quietly. Just hold on to it. Some of you guys have been holding on to something for five or 10 or 15 or 20 years, and it's just been eating at you for all of that time. And you expect it to get better. Why does it never get better? You've never reconciled the relationship. The other thing we like to do is we don't like the private part. We like to pull people into our, uh, into our, our bubble. We air it publicly. I'm starting to, I love and I hate social media. Like you get on social media anytime. It's like, you'll never believe what so-and-so did to me. I'm breaking up with my boyfriend. I'm breaking up with my girlfriend. You'll never believe what they did at McDonald's. They forgot my extra pickle. Like, Like we air everything publicly all of the time. And that is sinful of us. Because what God says, what God says is to go to that person in private to handle this before you bring anybody else in. So we go and we lay out the problem. Take home truth number one one if you're taking notes is when somebody sins against us we are called to communicate the offense to them my favorite question to ask of the bible is why god why do i have to do this i don't care to do it but it's really hard so it would help me if i understood why and the answer may kind of surprise you why would we do this the truth is is they may be unaware that they have sinned against you I know what you're saying. It's like, no way. They know. They're not stupid. They were there. They did it. Truth is, they may not know. Or they may not know the cost of that. See, we have this expectation of people in the world that everybody's mind readers. You knew you shouldn't have said that to me, but you did it anyway. We have this expectation of people for some reason. If you hurt me, you probably did it on purpose. But the truth is... A lot of time, people just need it communicated to them. As I've helped people work through misunderstandings, I would say 80% of the the conflict I've helped people work through started off as a misunderstanding between two people that escalated because they didn't stop and talk it out. 80% of the things that I've helped people work through can be fixed in seconds with somebody saying, you know you did this and it made me feel this way. And it's me like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that but sometimes people will hold on to those things for weeks or months. Sometimes people hurt us and it's an accident and they're just unaware. They didn't know that they did something. They didn't mean to do it. Just something in their actions. They weren't thinking about you. They were thinking about them and they did something that affected you negatively. That happens a lot as well. People don't purposely set out to hurt or harm you. Some people are aware that there was an instance that they hurt you, but they're really unaware of the effect. Like, they're aware. I probably shouldn't have said that to you, but I had no clue it hurt you that badly. I I had no clue that you would take it that way. I had no clue about your history or your past that makes that a really hard subject for you to talk about. And so if we don't communicate that, how do we know? And honestly, a lot of people forget. You get in an argument with somebody. How many of us have done this with our spouses? We get in a dispute, and then we go to bed, and we wake up in the morning, and our spouse is like, good morning. And you're like, okay, well, I guess it's over. And we just move on because the conflict isn't there, so we assume it's taken care of, only to have that same topic come up again two days later because it was never settled. And a lot of people that have heard us may have thought, well, it's just forgotten, and it's over, and it's solved. And what we like to think all the time is we look at that and goes, if you hurt me, if there's conflict between us, that's your fault. That's on you. But what Jesus is saying, no, 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 believers, Christ followers, 
that's on us. That's on us to take the responsibility to go communicate what has happened and to address that. So uh, take home truth number two. Let's talk about this. How do we seek reconciliation? Point A is we have to go to somebody and communicate the problem. The truth is, if we want reconciliation, we have to be the kind of people confident enough in ourselves to go to somebody and say, I need to sit down and I need to talk to you. Here's the problem from my point of view. This event happened, this discussion happened, this thing happened, and you might not have thought of it, but on this side, this is what it feels like. This is why that is wrong. Point B is we communicate why it's a problem. It's okay to express emotion to people. Communicate why it's a problem. Okay, you did this, and I need you to understand, that made me feel like this. Like, hey, you, you may not know this, but... Uh, I grew up with an abusive family member and um, when you raise your voice at me, it takes me back to a place where my mind and my body just says I'm in danger. And even though it was a small argument every since that you raised your voice at me, I've just felt like I'm in danger every time you're close. Maybe, maybe we go to somebody and say, you don't know this, but I have trust, relationship, or trust issues in relationships. I've been cheated on. I've been used. I've been abused. People have robbed me. People have taken advantage of me. So when you do something, even if it's a small lie, it's a big deal because I'm looking for you to be the most trustworthy person in my life. That's the effect of it. And once we do that, we communicate a solution. Honestly, what fixes it for you? I'm not saying repayment, like, hey, would you do a penance? I'm saying, what are you honestly looking for? You hurt me, you did this, we have this conflict. What solves it from my end? Most of the time, it's an apology, Hey, you just never said you were sorry. Maybe it's reassurance that that's not normally how things are going to go. For a lot of us, I'll be honest with you, I don't even care about an apology. I just want you to explain why you did that. Can you just tell me what was going on that would make you behave that way or do that to me? And we communicate this to the person and tell them what the problem is, why it's a problem, and what the solution should be or what we're hoping the solution should be. And I think that we look at that differently. Like so many of us, if I'm going to communicate a problem to somebody, you know what we're going to do? I got some things to say. Sit down. And that's not what the Bible calls us to do. To humbly and quietly go to somebody and say, let's see if we can reconcile this situation. Let's work through these things. Not for us to be heard, but for us to seek for the, uh, seek for the problem to go away. See, the scripture gives us this very clear expectation of what we're supposed to do. As a follower of Christ, you've got two choices with conflict in your life. Number one is you can drop it. You can forget about it. You can just go on. You don't have to have an apology. You can just say, you know what? That's not worth dealing with. Forget about it. Or you can deal with it. And for many of us, we kind of like that middle ground. We'd like that middle ground of like, well, I'm going to hold on and wait for them to come to me. I'm going to be angry about this. I'm going to refuse to be reconciled. I love the old saying, you ever heard the old saying, kick the can down the road? It's when a kid's walking down the road and they're bored and they're just kicking a can. They walk up and they just kick it and they might kick it for a mile. And for a lot of us, it's how we handle conflict. Like every time we're confronted with it, we're like, ah, I'll deal with it next week. And then we get to next week, it's like, ah, three days, I'll do it again. And we never deal with it. We just kind of keep kicking that can down the road. But nothing is accomplished. So the only two options we have is to deal with the conflict or to forget about it and drop the conflict. That's take home truth number three. Christians are called to deal with conflict or to drop conflict. 
And what the Bible tells us here is that there will be two options. One of two things will happen. Number one, he says that person will hear you. They will listen to you. That's actually an option. It doesn't sound like it will to us. But if you sit down with somebody humbly after praying over it and say, I've got this problem, you would be surprised how many people will sit and listen to you if you can keep from attacking them and just say, this is the issue. Lots of people will. I shared with you a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine and I had had a falling out. And I told you the story of how I had learned to, to pray for them. Every time I drove past this place that reminded me of them, I would pray for them. And God, you know, just, just give them joy, give them peace, all of these things. And after that relationship was reconciled, we can talk about those things. And I drove that by that very same place today. You know what I do? I still pray. But it's a, it's a prayer of praise to God. God, you, you brought that relationship back. God, that relationship is reconciled. God, you did this. See, it's, it's possible, especially among Christians, for us to move past the hardest things if we're willing to and restore harmony to relationships. But there's also the option of maybe they won't hear you. Somebody may flat out say, no, I'm not gonna talk about that. They may listen, they may attack you back. The conflict may get worse. So what do you do then? If sitting down with them and doesn't talk to them or talking to them doesn't fix them, what do you do then? Well, read with me verse 16. Jesus speaking here, he says, but if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So what verse 16 says is if it doesn't work at first, you don't just give up, you widen the circle. And you invite one or two more people into it and say, hey, would you come with me? Would you go talk with this person with me and help us handle conflict? And what we'll find in that is we're not looking for a role of people that will help us gang up on somebody. That's counterproductive. What we'll find is we'll find a mediator that can help kind of settle the situation down. Somebody who can see both sides of it. And the truth is, if we're willing to do that, we have to be willing to think, well, it's possible that maybe they're going to tell me I was wrong too. Proverbs 18, 17 says this. He says, the first one to plead his case seems right. Makes sense, right? When you, you ever had that? Like the first time you hear something, you're like, oh yeah, you got a point there. But it continues on. It says this, until his neighbor comes and examines him. You ever had that situation with your kids or friends? You thought you had a situation figured out until you heard the other side of the story? You're like, oh, maybe you're not as right as you think you are. And so when we bring extra eyes into the circle, when we bring extra people into the conflict, this gives us a mediator that can help say to me, I'm blind, or it can help say to the person I'm talking to that they're blind, and it can bring clarity to the situation. So number four, if a relationship cannot be reconciled, still will not be reconciled, bring in another voice. And once again, the scripture gives us two options. It'll end it or they still won't hear you, in which case those two people are witnesses that you've handled it right, that you are in the right. And then read with me verse 17. So we've went to them, they wouldn't hear us. We went to them with two more people who we both mutually respect to be a mediator. They still won't hear us, verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Take home truth number five. If a relationship still cannot be reconciled, bring in the voice of the church. So what Jesus is saying here is you take an individual circle and you widen it to two or three more and then you widen it to your local church. That is us here at Ramsey Heights. And what happens with a church is that brings in more mediators into the situation. 
Now, we'll find that there are some situations this might work at with. If me and Larry aren't getting along this week, maybe, maybe we do need to bring that to the whole church and ask for wisdom and ask for prayer. But it may also be that we're dealing with an out-of-church believer or an out of, somebody goes to a different church or someone who's not a believer. How would this work with that coworker? Men, you aren't getting along. You need to come to my church so they can tell you what to do. I wouldn't work very well. I'm not going to another church to work it through over there. So what does it mean with an unbeliever? How do we follow this process with an unbeliever? We can still take it to the church, but we can take it and ask for prayers and wisdom and encouragement and reassurance that we're handling this in a godly manner. So what God wants is he doesn't want us just, just flying off the handle, accusing everybody of everything. He wants safeguards for us. He wants people to counsel us and if needed to counsel whoever them is to you. Now, many of you are going, I've never seen this done. I've never done this and I probably will never do this. But this is the word of Jesus Christ. This is what he said. He said, Christ's follower, if you have conflict, if you have conflict with your friends, with your family, in a marriage, hey, what you need to do is you need to try to handle that one-on-one. -on -one. If that doesn't work, you need to bring in somebody that you both trust, that has wisdom, that is going to be a centrist in the situation and help you work through that. And if that doesn't work, if it's within your church, you need to bring it to the church. That means your bridge crews come to them and say, hey guys, we just want to bring this to church. I'm, I'm having a lot of problems with Norman today. I'm at it with every deacon in, in the room. And, I, and I, we need some wisdom and we need some prayers and we need some clarity. But even at that, there's not a guarantee. Even at that, there's not a guarantee that that will work. And so once again, the Bible gives us two options. Number one, maybe they will hear you and the conflict will be over. Number two is they don't hear you and it says to treat them like a publican, that's a tax collector, or a heathen, which is a pagan. Listen to this. Let me explain to this in context. Jesus is teaching Jews here. And he says, you get to teach these people or treat these people like a tax collector at this point. And a tax collector was the lowest rung of society. At this time, um, Israel had been taken over by the Roman Empire. And tax collectors were people that had abandoned their people. They had abandoned their family. And in doing so, many believe they had abandoned God. And they made a contract with the Roman government that said, you work for the Roman government collecting taxes. And you know how you pay yourself? Just take as much as you want from people. We'll give you some soldiers to do it. And so tax collectors were the worst of the worst of the worst. They had abandoned their own people to work for the enemy and were filthy rich because of it. That'd be like today if we went to war with China and China took over the United States of America and your best friend said, I'm going to work for the government of China. They've told me I can be a tax collector and I can take however much I want and put the rest of it in my pocket as long as my accounts with them are square. That was the lowest rung of society. And a heathen man or a pagan is someone who has no connection with God, who is dangerous. And I know what some of us are thinking is like, finally, like finally this series gets us somewhere that we want to go. We talked about conflict. Brian, you promised forgiveness. You promised healing. And then you told me I had to think about how dirty I was before God before I could do anything else. And then you told me I had to pray for them. And I tried that. And then you told me I had to apologize to them. And then you told me I had to go and ask them to apologize to me. And finally, finally, here we are. Now I get to treat them like I deserve to. Is that what the Bible's saying? That's 100% what the Bible's saying. You're right. The Bible says this. It says you get to treat them like a tax collector and a pagan. And every, all of God's people said, you guys are horrible. Though. You're supposed to say amen in that. All God's people said, you're right, yes. But there's a nuance there that I think we're missing. 
Because there's something in me that's dirty and dark and sinful. And I keep looking for that way out. I keep looking for a way not to act like Christ. I keep looking for a way to get my revenge, to get my retribution, to ask for repayment. I keep looking for a way to make my anger okay. And at just a glance, treat him like a tax collector and a pagan. Yes, rightful anger. But the nuance is this, is that you, you are a Christ follower, which means that when you treat somebody like a tax collector and a pagan, you treat them the way that Christ would treat a tax collector and a pagan. I love that this story is recorded in the book of Matthew. I love that. Some of you know the story of Matthew, some of you don't. Matthew was one of those tax collectors, the very man who recorded this, who wrote this down when Jesus preached it. Matthew was a tax collector. He was ostracized by his whole community. He was hated. He was getting filthy rich, robbing his friends and his family. And one day Jesus walks by. Instead of spitting on him or looking down at him, Jesus looked at Matthew and said, why don't you come follow me? And Matthew walked away from that life immediately, so hungry and so excited to be accepted by Jesus. And Jesus puts his arm around him and says, Matthew, let's go eat. And Matthew says, that sounds good, Jesus. Where are we going to eat? And Jesus says, at your house. We're going to your house. Why don't you invite your friends? And later that night, Jesus is sitting at this table. The Bible calls, says the table is full of sinners and tax collectors at a tax collector's house. And people came up to Jesus and like, hey, uh, I don't know if you know this. We don't eat with them. They're bad people. They're robbing us. Why? Jesus, why are you eating with these people? We're going to treat them like tax collectors. And you're sharing a meal with them? You're laughing at their jokes? You're supporting them through their hardships? Oh God, that's not how we treat tax collectors. But this is what Jesus said to them. Jesus said, look, the healthy people don't need a doctor. I came here for the sick and the hurting. And that's where you'll find me is among the sick and the hurting. And so if we, if we are going to be like Christ, what we do is we don't look at people with the concept of saying, I get to ostracize them or I get to hurt them like a tax collector. We look at them and we see people who are in denial about sin, which means they are far from God. So what the Bible is saying here is not walk away from them. The Bible is saying your relationship shifts. They may no longer be your best friend who you can trust with everything or work closely with at work. They become your mission field. And suddenly our focus shifts. It's no longer about getting them to reconcile with me. My heart now is to see those people reconcile with God. It's no longer about me having friendship with them. It's about them being a mission field because they are far from God. And as Christ followers, we want to see people come close to God. Take home truth number six. And if a relationship still cannot be re reconciled, we love them like Christ. See, the ultimate goal here in this whole series is we want to stop the hurt and what we'll find is we stop the hurt and forgiveness that comes with love. And nobody, nobody restores a relationship like Christ. Nobody. Because when you look at this and you're thinking of that person that hurt you, that rejected you, that treated you badly, that's me. That's me to God. That's you to God. Every time we've sinned against him, it's hurt him personally. It's something that, that we have attacked him with. And we live our life refusing to apologize, refusing to hear, forgetting him and blind to what we've done. Yet I love this about Christ. Christ pursued us. God came to us. 
God could have sit in heaven for eternity and been wholly righteous and said, you know what? If they want to find a way to me, let them find a way. But God didn't do that. God came to us. And Jesus came to this world and he began to communicate with us. He began to communicate with us what sin was. And he said, there's nothing that will make it right except blood and death. But don't worry, I've got that covered. And so Jesus went up onto the cross and he died. And all we have to do to be reconciled with God is just accept that he came to us. And to this day, God still communicates with us. Brother Danny, if you want to start making your way up here, God still communicates with us and tells us when we've wronged him. See, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us. And some of you right now, you just, you've been hearing that little voice to this series that's saying, you need to forgive that person. What that is, is that's the Holy Spirit telling us and communicating to us that, hey, you have been wrong. You have sinned against this person by not forgiving, and you have sinned against me, a holy God, by not following my way. Some of you are hearing something different this morning. You're, you're hearing a little voice say, you need to come to Christ. A little voice communicating with you, you are far from Christ because of your sin, and he died on the cross for you, and salvation's available for you. If that's you, you've been here and been here, and been here, and been here, and you've heard me say it a lot of times. Listen, today's the day. All it takes to follow Christ is putting your faith in him. He's done all the hard work, but maybe for the rest of us, there's something in us that the little voice, the little conviction is just saying, you've got to follow Christ in this. You've got to go to somebody. You've got to communicate how they've hurt you or why they've hurt you. If that's you this morning, in any case, this is our reflection time. Don't leave here the same as you walked in. Let's take some time to pray. I'll pray with you. But don't leave here the same as you walked in. Let's stand and worship.